0: Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. This week we are going to talk to Brett Alexander with Alexander Sport Fishing about Green Bay. For those of you that don't fish Green Bay, we're going to talk a little bit about big water and a little bit about, you know, things that you should look for on big water potentially to avoid for, uh, you know, safety's sake. Anyways, that's uh, today's episode. Glad to have another guest back. I don't always love having guestless episodes, but I mean, I did hear a few comments. People were happy that... I shared my miserable opening weekend experience because they said that misery loves company. So that was good. I wasn't alone in that. So that's pretty cool, huh, Brad?
1: Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's one of them deals where it's reality, right, Jeff? Things can kind of be goofy. You know, we just, here we are Monday after Minnesota opener. Um, Unfortunately, I was not able to fish opening day on Saturday. Um, I had an uncle that passed away, so I had a funeral to go to. Carrie and I got out a little bit yesterday, about five hours worth, and Carrie had some success. I did not, but uh, it, was, it was fun. Carrie scored a really nice fish, 50-incher on the grenade, so I can't complain at all. I'm super pleased. I'm hoping that I can get out yet this afternoon, and my fishing season will probably start in about three days where I can really get away and start doing it again.
0: Uh, That's awesome. I didn't get to hear that Carrie landed a uh, 50-inch yesterday, so that's pretty sweet. Congratulations to Carrie. I would love to have her on a podcast again someday. That'd be neat. (laughs) Um, Yeah,
1: we've been bombarded, Jeff. So we have just been working. And like I said, I mean, if I can get through some of this here in the next couple days, I'm still playing with some rigging in my boat, and we were still able to get out yesterday for a little bit. kind of had some family things that we needed to take care of over the weekend. Fishing will start real soon for me again.
0: Yeah, certainly. I know about that taking care of family stuff. Speaking of that, for me, if you are a regular customer of Team Rhino Outdoors and you're thinking about placing an order, you need something for a trip, and it's time sensitive, I will give you a warning. We're not shipping on Friday, and we are not shipping again, I believe, the following Monday. Unfortunately, due to my dad's passing last year, we need to take care of his final wishes, so I'm going to take a little trip to Tennessee. It's... Basically a uh, fly down, hang out for two days and then fly back. Timing isn't exactly great because of the time of year, you know, it's uh fishing season. Guys want their fishing gear. So we're making sure we get back as quick as we can to get everything moving as smoothly as possible. But I suggest that if you need something and it's time sensitive and you need to have it by say possibly even the weekend today, when you hear this or tomorrow, which would be Thursday, if you're, you know, you're listening in, you know, sequential order then I suggest that you go ahead and uh, put your orders in sooner than later if it's time sensitive. If not, place it whenever you want and we'll get the stuff shipped out. I apologize for any inconvenience. Unfortunately, as a family-run business, when we take off, then there's nobody in the shop. I don't have employees. Everything that you see and hear is either my wife or my kids. And so uh, that's it. I just want to let everybody know uh, there's going to be a slight delay in shipping. We'll be back to our usually scheduled quick shipping program as quickly as possible. You know, with that little bit of shipping out of the way, if you're looking for gear for your next musky fishing adventure, please consider teamrhinooutdoors.com. We are your source for everything muskie related. Tons of gear. It's crazy how much stuff is actually coming into the shop lately. The uh, receiving department, which again is mostly me, has been very busy. We've made lots of new updates to the website, lots of new products in the last, uh, I'd say, 48 hours that have gotten loaded on there. Lots of new colors. Tons of stuff. I mean, we just spent an entire weekend just ordering more stuff. So if you're looking for gear, check out com. And Brad, where else should they be shopping if you're looking for gear?
1: Well, you can check us out at com. Pretty simple little website. You can come visit and pretty much get the whole gamut of what we offer, as well as some customs. So, you know, some of the other things that you can do to see Team Rhino Outdoors or Musky Mayhem Tackle, real simple, is both Instagram and Facebook. And, uh, we try to keep you updated here on the podcast as well.
0: One last thing on the podcast, we don't say it often, but if you want to stay up to date on it, make sure you subscribe on whatever platform you listen to. Not that it helps us out with anything in particular, but occasionally we throw up a bonus episode and there was like a few weeks or not, not a few weeks ago. It seems like a few weeks ago. It was back in April when we did that week of podcasting. Somebody was asking me on like a, like a Tuesday. They're like, Hey, what are you guys doing for April? I'm like, we've been doing it already. He's like, oh, well, I don't check the podcast out till Wednesday. So if you subscribe, it'll usually send you a notification that says, hey, Backlash Podcast has a new uh, something out. You know, just in case on that off chance that we release bonus content, we do that from time to time. I can't say I'm going to say that we're going to do it anytime in the next you know month or so. Usually this time gets a little bit busy. But there's your public service announcement. Subscribe to the Backlash Podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. And I don't believe I have anything else. If you have any, uh, you know, suggestions on the podcast you can email us backlashpodcast at gmail.com we don't give that out that often either uh, i promise we will eventually respond to your your comment or your email I can also say that it does not take priority over um you know just our general businesses so anyways with that being said let's uh, dial up our conversation with brett alexander all right our guest today is brett alexander with alexander sport fishing Brett, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're busy. You just got off the water already today. We're, you know, smack dab in the middle of what's we'll called your fishing season because you do a lot of walleyes and you do a lot of smallmouth. But I don't want to talk about it, so I want you to talk about it, Brett. First time we've had you on the podcast. Why don't you kind of go through, you know, your your guide service? Why don't you talk a little bit about even what got you into fishing and musky fishing in particular?
2: Sure. Thanks for having me on. How I I started out, I was a fishing freak, like most people are i did a lot of fishing in northern wisconsin up in florence county a lot of muskie fishing bass fishing walleye fishing so i kind of kind of did it all um, throughout the years and i was a full-time firefighter and got married and my wife uh, was always growly about how much i was fishing all the time so i decided to start guiding so i could Actually, make it uh, make some income at what I love doing, and that's how I started out. It was just a part-time gig, and it took off pretty quick from there. I did it part-time for three years while I was working at a fire department, and then I grew my business pretty quick. and Decided to quit the fire department and become a full-time guide, and I've been doing it full-time now for about seventeen
0: years. And Brett, you know, not only do you do a lot of the uh, open water fishing, but you have a really successful guide service for ice fishing as well.
2: Yeah, we've got a, a really big ice fishing operation. I've got nine guys working for me. The white fishery on Green Bay exploded about, well, maybe about 12 years ago. And we capitalized on, on the white fishing and we have 37 ice houses that, uh, we mainly guide for white fish up in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin.
1: That's that's pretty wild, Brett. I mean, you think about that. There's not many other people in freshwater fishing that do the kind of numbers of guide trips that you're doing with with your whole crew there. And you've really made it quite the life, I would say, you know, I mean, for a lack of a better way to put it, you're doing some very, very unique things in the world of guiding by having all those different people. Maybe, Brett, you can kind of reiterate on what all the different services that you provide so that uh, some of the listeners could possibly reach out, and uh, I guarantee you there's going to be somebody that's interested in coming with you after they visit here today.
2: Yeah, well, we have uh, we got four full-time guides that work for me. Um, we guide open water for smallmouth bass, uh, walleye, and muskie. And then ice fishing, we do whitefish and walleye trips mostly whitefish but we do some walleye trips in
0: march for trophy walleyes also so brett roughly how many days do you think you spend on green bay in a year
2: um from like mid-march until the end of november i'm probably not on the water maybe 10 days definitely over 200 days a year i'm on the water absolutely
0: plus yeah that's crazy so let's talk about you know musky season up there just opened up roughly ten days ago. Let's talk about how that's going for you. To you know, how's the season starting out here?
2: Um, it started out pretty good. There was uh, a lot of a lot of numbers of fish caught and all the trips. Uh, the fox is really good. One thing I did notice is a lot of like low to mid forty fish were caught. I think most of the big females kind of moved on before the season started. There was a few big fish caught, but a lot of like low to mid 40s were caught.
1: You know, one of the things that I've kind of seen over the last couple of years, Brett, is that it seems like that fishery has maybe been challenged a little bit with some of the bigger fish kind of moving out of the way. And and you're starting to see a lot more of those size fish that you're talking about. Um, Not a bad problem, honestly, but. I suppose, you know, after getting used to such great fishing for so many years, and I, not that the fishing's bad by any means, but, you know, it's good to see some of those uh, smaller fish kind of coming into that system as well, isn't it?
2: Yeah, no, it's definitely great to see, uh, see all those smaller fish. Um, you know, they grow really fast on Green Bay, and Green Bay they can hit up to 50 inches within 15 years. So right now we have a pile of fish that are in that 42 to 47-inch range. And don't get me wrong, we do have a lot of big fish still in the system, but there's just a really big amount of those low to mid 40 fish that are up and coming. So it's, it's looking really good for the future for Green Bay.
1: Yeah, super promising for sure. And uh, I know that, you know, you've been doing this, how many years? You said around 18 years now?
2: Yeah, uh, full time for, I think, 17 years. And then that was part time for three years. So probably right around 20 years now.
1: Okay, awesome. How many times have you seen kind of this cycle, Brad? Is this something that's typical or has it been really consistent? And now you're starting to see kind of a chained over a fish.
2: You know, when I first started musky guiding, uh, I was probably about 15, 16 years ago. It was really, really good um, for numbers. It was kind of like it is right now. So there was a lot of fish, you know, a lot of great action. And then probably about, six to seven years into it is when we started catching a lot of really really big fish I think about five years ago is where we peaked out on big fish I know back in that time I had a lot of years where I had 30 to 35 fish that were 50 and over every year this this past year I had 28 so it's still good but it's just not quite as good as it was five six years ago
1: yeah it's always amazing to me i think people get hung up a lot of times thinking that they're fishing the same fish you know year after year after year but there's always a circle there right there's definitely the circle circle of life everything you know comes to an end sooner or later but it sounds pretty strong like you guys are snapping back really quick and like you said i mean those fish out there just seem to grow and And for good reason. I mean, you talked about it a little bit in the beginning there about the whitefish explosion, and uh, your bait source is so incredible. Why don't we talk a little bit more in depth about Green Bay itself and kind of how it provides for the muskies? Yeah, one
2: thing that's cool about Green Bay is the bait fish is just unbelievable. I mean, we've got huge amounts of gizzard shad in Green Bay. And then also for the bass and the walleyes, we've got the goby population. The goby is an invasive species that got into the system years ago and everybody was worried about them at first, but then it actually turned out to be a good thing because it's such a big bait fish population for all the fish in Green Bay.
0: You know, it's really crazy how mother nature kind of gets regulated like that, you know, like invasives come in and then all of a sudden it turns out to be a benefit, you know, to the smallmouth population. It's just crazy how that works out.
2: It's weird, uh sometimes everybody's freaked out about an invasive species, and it actually turns out to be a good thing. I think you know, going back in the gobes, I think the gobies were a great thing for Green
0: Bay, you know, Brett, the one thing about Green Bay that's also nice for you is it's it's kind of like the crown jewel of Wisconsin muskie fishing, so there was a gap there where they didn't do some stocking with the v h s but they've made some changes, and they've been able to pump in good numbers of fish, so it definitely helps. Ensure that the future in Green Bay is as bright as it can be. I mean, the DNR is certainly doing a great job with trying to pump fish in. I think you may know better than me, but doesn't it get roughly like twenty thousand fish a year put in there?
2: The last I would say ten years, they've been putting in anywhere from five to ten thousand. Um, we did have some years back in the day where they were putting twenty to thirty thousand a year, and it's been pretty much uh, I would say that five to ten thousand every year they're putting in Green Bay right now. One thing too, when they when they do stock them in Green Bay, they're pretty good sized fish. They're anywhere from fourteen to twenty inches. So the you know when you're talking the numbers of five to ten thousand, the survival rate on those fish is really really good, just because they are so big when they put them in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one thing that most DNRs have realized lately. They, in fact, Green Bay used to start out. They just they would just dump a bunch of fry in there. I mean, it would be like 200,000 or 300,000 fry. It was ridiculous, but they realized that, you know, quickly realized how inefficient that is, how how much better it is to spend the money to raise these fish up to a reasonable size and start doing fall stockings on them.
2: Yeah, it's definitely beneficial that they're they're putting them in at the size they do, you know, you're not one thing when you put in little fish, what happens is you you lose a ton of like birds and all the other predators on so there up to that 14 to 20 inch range, you're not going to get the birds eating them as much.
0: So Brett, one thing I want to talk about a little bit is, so obviously you're targeting the tributaries right now. How quickly before that bite, I would say like burns out or it's, or the fish, I should say not burn out. That's probably not the right word, but before those fish migrate out of those river systems.
2: It's pretty much done already. It was, we had a big warm up right, right before the season there. And, uh, it really progressed everything really fast. Um, so it was pretty short lived in all the trips, you know, some of the northern trips, uh, like Pescego, Ocano, Menominee, um, they're still holding some fish, but that bite has gotten pretty tough in the tributaries.
0: You know, so now I, since I'm fairly familiar with the Green Bay fishery, it seems like most anglers aren't going to target muskies from, we'll say like a week or two from now, you know, there'll be some diehards that are still going to try to pick off some of those fish or there's some, you know, spawning areas within the bay that they'll try to hit, But then, you know, those muskies pretty much get unpressured, I would say, for the most part from, I would say, you know, what mid-June, we'll say, until probably mid-July till late July. Is that kind of how your program is? Do you do any muskie fishing during, you know, the, we'll call them the summer months?
2: Um, I actually don't guide for muskies at all from like right now until the 10th of July. So the 10th of July is kind of like the magic day when everything starts happening. But I found in the history that you got about a four-week period after the spawn where it gets really tough. Those fish go into into deep water. Um, They're chasing big bait schools fish out
0: there, and they're just inaccessible and really, really hard to, to target and find. Do you know of any anglers that are actually, you know, trying to target them? Because honestly, I I know very few people that try to target muskies during that time frame as well. Yeah,
2: there's um, a few of my good friends like Chris Barts. He uh, he'll guide for muskies all of June, and he just he hunts them down with electronics, chasing you know finding the, the bait pods, and then using his his uh, you know live Garmin live scope and stuff to find them, and and then he usually casts for them with rubber in the deeper
1: water. It's always kind of blown my mind, Brett, that there isn't more guys trying the open water, you know, as far as uh, the trolling side of things. How many lines can you run per person out there?
2: Uh, you can run three lines per person. But, you know, there again, those, those fish, they're chasing bait out in that deep water. So, I mean, green Bay is such a big body of water. To me, it's like chasing a, a needle in a haystack um, just because there's so much water. And those fish are constantly moving when they're out in that deep water. So I like to wait until once the cabbage weeds start growing, it's,
1: you know, those fish suck into the cabbage really quick. Then you know where they're at and they're a lot easier to target. Is it something that you guys maybe target? You know, like you said that the, the tributaries that are, you know, those fish are doing their thing, spawning and what have you, and, and they move out of there. Can you cut them off before they do go out to the deep water?
2: You know, there's some areas where the guys will catch them when they're coming out but I, I just think it's such a fast transition that, I mean, it's, you got to be right at the right spot at the right time when they're coming out. And I think they move out to
1: that deep water pretty quick, honestly. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I it's so strange to me because like, you know, most of the water that I'm fishing the month of June, you know, it's almost the same kind of time frame as what you're talking about with Green Bay. Now, keep in mind, my body's water aren't as extensive and large as yours are (laughs) but you know you're right it's funny you could open water troll for a week and not hardly see anything yeah you're starting to see some bait and then all of a sudden it's like one day here's all the muskies and they're out there you know making meals out of that uh, resource of all the ciscos and different things that are out there so it's pretty wild how it just snaps like you know bang and it's and it's on right
2: yeah, it's literally, you can almost time it out to the day when, I mean, it's all, like I said, it's all on, on what the cabbage is doing. When that cabbage is, gets up to like a foot to 18 inches, those muskies will roll in pretty quick. And it's, I mean, if you time it right and you're there right away too, that bite can be really, really good when they first push in because they've been unpressured. They haven't seen baits for a while and, uh, they're pretty easy to catch in the first couple of weeks
0: let's talk a little bit about that because obviously weeds are a major factor for green Bay previously, I would say the last, I don't know, maybe not so much last season, but the seasons before that, the water levels were kind of high are, you know, when you find those cabbage beds, is that something you can continue to go back on year after year? Or is it something that you spend a lot of time, you know, marking inside imaging the new clumps of cabbage or, you know, how do you kind of go about that? Well,
2: with the, with the, the high waters we had the last few years, everything changed. So a lot of the traditional cabbage beds that we used to fish were not there anymore because they're in too deep a water to get the sunlight penetration um, for the cabbage to start growing. So we fished a lot of new areas the last like three, four years, some shallower cabbage beds. Um, so it kind of, I mean, you kind of have to go out, you know, and around that beginning of July and the first couple of days, I would just go out and motor and cover a ton of water and, and mark everything because we will have new new uh cabbage beds that grow in different areas sometimes and but i've definitely seen a lot of changes throughout the years what those fish are doing and where that cabbage grows but the main key is is the cabbage i mean cabbage is king in green bay There's, we have a lot of different weeds in green bay and
1: the musky fishing is always the best if you find good cabbage beds so, Brett, you know, one of the things, you know, you're talking about, Cadge, and you're talking about this weed growth. Is that correlate anyway with your perch population, your, your whitefish, and so on and so forth? Do you think it's more of a bait migration and the muskies follow, or do you think it's just something that the muskies are waiting for and, and actually make that move?
2: No, it's they're definitely it's all about the bait. I mean, when you get uh, the weed cover your bait moves in and once your bait moves in, the muskies move in. So it's, I mean, it's everybody talks about the cabbage, like I was just talking about, but it's really more about the bait and what the bait is doing. Cause as soon as that cabbage gets to where there's cover, the perch are going to be in the cabbage. And I'm a big believer in muskies favorite thing to eat are perch.
0: Yeah, I believe we had a, you know, one of the guys from the Minnesota DNR on recently, he said the same thing, you know, they did some diet studies and yeah. and muskies are definitely all about the perch.
2: Yeah, you know, you look at your your um, patterns, your lures, and, and perch and fire tag are always my two best colors on Green Bay. Um, anything that looks like a perch you're going to eat, that kind of tells me that they're honed in on the perch.
0: You know, oddly, one thing I've I had success with quite a few years back on was Green Bay was purple, and it doesn't look anything like a perch. I don't understand why they would eat purple. Maybe it's, at some point, they're keyed in on, like you said, those white fish and and that's got something to do with it or what the story is, but I've always had luck with purple as well. And I don't know, have you seen anything with purple or not?
2: Purple's always been a good color for, for everything in Green Bay bass, uh, walleye, and muskie. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what it is, but they definitely like the color purple. So, you know, the main things that they're eating on Green Bay, I, I believe, I'm a big believer, like I said, that they love perch, but also they're eating a lot of alewife, gizzard shad, and uh, the whitefish, so we got a large whitefish population, and they definitely hone in on the, on the whitefish in the fall.
1: Have you seen a massive uh, change in pressure out there? I mean, Green Bay's really gotten a bunch of notoriety over the past, say, 10, 15 years. Has that uh, really influenced how many people are fishing there, Brett?
2: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely crowded. I would say it's been... To me, it seems like it's been about the same for the last seven to eight years. I don't think it's changed much. Before that, I would say there was about half the pressure that, that we have now. So yeah, it definitely gets a lot of pressure in Green Bay. But it's also a huge body of water. So there's a lot of different places to go and fish. And you know, unfortunately, the muskies are, when it's casting season, there's not a lot of cabbage on Green Bay. So there's not a ton of spots. You know, you can go to fish them where you're going to catch them. There's about four that I know of <laughs> that I've ever found, but they pretty much go back to those same areas every year.
1: Yeah, that's always blown my mind because, you know, you hear about it quite a bit, like, you know, this guy's on this spot or, you know, the, your guys are kind of playing merry-go- merry-go-round on these fish. It kind of reminds me of the Malax days when we were all out there guiding. And, you know, you could literally talk to your, to your neighbor on the water and say, Hey, you guys doing any good? You seeing anything, blah, blah, blah. Do you experience that same thing out there? I've never actually musky fished on, on green Bay.
2: I see exactly what you're talking about out here. You know, every, there's a good handful of us that, that know the whole game out here. And like I said, there's like four spots where it's good to fish. So it's you know, pretty easy to, to uh, pinpoint
1: where the fish are because they're going to be on one of the four spots. that's crazy how do you combat that let's talk about how you deal with some of that pressure i mean are you fishing different hours and trying different things when uh you know maybe the people aren't out there Brett?
2: a lot of times like on the weekends what i'll do is i'll fish
1: at nighttime,
2: you know and i've i've found that that'll work pretty good is getting on that night bite when there's not as much pressure you know and then like if you get an area that you want to fish and it's crowded, what I do a lot of times is I'll fish the outskirts of where everybody's fishing because a lot of times
0: if there's a lot of boats in one area, they will push the fish off those flats and out to the outer edges. All right, Brett. So it's no secret. Anybody that's out trolling on Green Bay, especially, you know, later in the season is not that late in the season in that September time frame. The run is super shad wraps what is it about that bait? That's so special. You know, why can't, you know, why can't guys catch stuff on other baits other than super shad wraps? It seems like I I've seen it and I've heard about it, you know, and I'm sure you've experienced it. You'll be rolling out six, nine, 12 super shad wraps and it's, it's like the bait of choice. There has to be other baits that work, but yet this one's still the one that's, it's the, the bait for green Bay.
2: Yeah, it's definitely, you know, my favorite, um, trolling bait for sure. Um, And it it never used to be that way. Back in the day, I mean, like 15 years ago, nobody ever ran Super Shads out on Green Bay. It was all either grandmas, um, baby shallow raiders, baby depth raiders. The the jointed baby depth raiders were a really good bait. Um, The full-size shallow raiders, I mean, it was all Booker stuff back in the day. And I got a call from Doug Stangy one day, and he said, we want to film a trolling show on Green Bay, and I'm going to send you the different baits that we can use for the show. And none of them were Booker baits. And out of the three different baits he sent me, I tried fishing them for a couple days prior um, to when we had a film. Couldn't catch any fish on them. And then uh, the day of filming, we went out and I talked them into letting me run half the spread on one side of the boat with with the baits that I normally use, all the Booker stuff. And then the other side, we ran Super Shads because that was the closest you know profile that I liked uh, to what I was catching them on. And that day we put seven fish in the boat and six of them were on, on the Super Shads. And that was the day the Super shad was born on Green Bay. <laughs> <laughs> and after that, everybody started using them but I've never, never heard of anybody running them before that. Um, it was just a freak thing where they sent me baits and, you know, they wanted to use them for the show and, and we, you know, they, they worked well. So super shad is it's the perfect size, you know, the fall bite, um, the, those muskies are feeding a lot on gizzard shad and it's the perfect size bait that's matching the hatch at that time. It, you know, it's pretty close to what a perch is and pretty close to what a, what a gizzard uh, shad is, uh, I think that's the main thing, and, and I think it's, it's got that tight vibration, which they can hone in on, you know, when you're trolling, so it's been an outstanding bait, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things too, Brad, I mean, back in the day on Malax in the north end, there was some of these guys that were doing a lot of trolling, and what they were doing is literally dragging that super shad right through the sand, and they were picking up tons of muskies doing that. So I don't think it's just green Bay. I mean, it's an incredible bait and there's a lot of guys that use it throughout the country. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, no, it's definitely a, definitely an awesome musky bait. That's for sure.
0: So Brett, I spent a little bit of time on green Bay in the fall, not a lot. Cause I'm, you know, just things are too busy. Plus I, I don't like the pressure out there. I mean, I like the opportunity that it presents, but I don't like the pressure. So Brad's always yelling at me to be running bigger baits in the fall is that something that you just continue to run your typical, you know, I'd say five to seven inch baits, or do you ever see a bait, a bite on bigger baits in the fall?
2: Oh, I'll, I'll uh, once the whitefish push in, the whitefish will push in and spawn right around like that 43, 44 degree temp. And once they push in, you'll definitely catch them on bigger baits. Than. And a lot of those big muskies are hone in on those whitefish. So then you can, you can run some 10, 12 inch baits at that time and catch fish. But before then, it's pretty tough to catch them on the bigger beach.
0: So then let me follow up with another question about big fish on Green Bay. So obviously it's no secret that there's tons of big fish out in Green Bay. You guys catch lots of them in, you know, early season, but you also catch a lot of them in August and September into October. But now when I go out there in November, it seems like I see quite a bit less pressure and I never run in, I shouldn't say never, but I very rarely run into a very large fish do you still find yourself catching many of those 50 inches in November? Because to me personally... Um, not, not near as many. You'll probably
2: catch 90% of all your 50 inches in July and August and September. Um, October, November, it gets, it gets tough on Green Bay. I mean, you can still catch fish, and once in a while you get a big one. What I've noticed the last, like, three years now, in October, November... We can catch them pretty decent, but a lot of smaller fish. And I actually figured out a, a couple of different tactics um, of fishing some tributaries and catching some big fish in the fall, casting. So I don't do as much trolling. I do some nighttime casting trips into tributaries that works pretty good for bigger fish.
0: Sure, yeah, it definitely seems, you know, it just seems like. And I don't hear of any, many people catching giant fish. You don't see many of them on, on social media, like nothing. And obviously the fish aren't gone, you know, so it's just. Yeah. I,
2: my, my theory is I think with the bait, with the, uh, the perch coming back right now, um, because this all changed with the big fish, you know, in the, in the fall, getting tough about five or six years ago. And I think what happened is these perch are coming back and they're out in the deep mud. And I think a lot of those big muskies are going in and honing in on those perch late in the fall. And we're just not, we're not catching them up in the traditional areas in the shallower water where we're trolling. I think they're deeper and uh, eating those perch. But uh, that's, you know, that's my dream and I'm not sure if it's true or not, but I think that's what's
0: happening. It definitely seems like a, you know, possible. So, you know, it's, it definitely seems like that could be true the only way to find out really is to just spend a lot of time out there. And I'm sure with you guiding every day, you know, you don't have time to explore a ton of different stuff because your clients don't want to pay you to explore.
2: One thing with, if the muskies are in that real deep water, eating those perch out in in that mud, you know, I wouldn't want to go out there and target them because if you figure out a bite, I I think what'll happen is you're going to end up killing a lot of fish if you're fishing that deep water for them. So I think it's something that's best just left alone and, You know, maybe they'll change someday where they come back in shallower, but I think they're out in that deep water. And, you know, I think if guys figure it out and go out there and start catching them, you're going to end up hurting your fishery and killing a lot of fish.
0: Yeah. And obviously we know how, you know, fragile these musky fisheries can be in some sense, you know, obviously, you know, stocking helps, but, uh, catch and release is a very big deal. And, you know, I'm fortunate to have seen a lot in Green Bay, some of the stuff I saw. You know, in that, I'd say, I can't remember, 2004, 2005 range. I mean, you would just see tons of guys with walleye nets and they would flop these fish in their bottom of their boat. And then there'd be three guys in the boat and every single one of them would grab the fish and take pictures of it. And I'm sure you still see some of that. I don't fish there nearly as much as I used to, but I used to see that. Yeah,
2: it's not near as bad. It's not near as bad as it used to be, but yeah, it, it definitely, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was pretty bad what you'd see. And I saw a lot of dead floating fish back then too people mishandling them and not releasing them properly and but i think uh, a lot of people have been educated since then and it's definitely gotten a lot better
0: yeah like i said some of the release techniques you saw were uh, i'd say horrendous kind of is the word i would use to describe it and like i said i don't spend a lot of time out there now but i haven't seen it nearly as bad as it ever used to be
2: yeah no it's it's gotten a lot better i mean back even probably seven eight years ago there were a lot of days where I was pulling all my lines in and going to reviving people's fish because they're just chucking them in and they're up top floating, you know, and starting to flip over. And so there's a number of times myself and a couple you know, buddies of mine went and chased down people's fish and revived them for them, and, which you shouldn't have to do, but.
0: Definitely not. And so Brad, I'm just kind of curious about your, you know, your cl- your customer base, your clientele to the majority of these anglers that hire you are they just out there looking to catch a fish that day or are the majority of them looking to learn green bay
2: you know you get a mixture you get uh you know i'll get some hardcore musky anglers that want to fish green bay on their own and they'll come and hire a guide to learn it quick um so i see a lot of that and then i get tons of repeat customers that come every year just because they want to catch a big muskie you know i get a lot of that such a little mixture of both.
0: Yeah, I think the one thing I've noticed in recent years is the amount of, you know, the, the increase in traffic, I would say from like Minnesota anglers, it seems like more and more anglers are traveling to come fish Green Bay, which, you know, it's a good thing for the local economy. And it's a good thing for the fishery itself.
2: Yeah, no, you get, I mean, I see people from all over the United States that come to Green Bay. I mean, it's, I mean, you look at it and Green Bay is probably one of the top three spots in the world to catch a 50 plus inch Um so it's, you're, you're going to get people that come here and fish you know that want to catch a big fish for sure.
1: So Brett you know Green Bay being tied to Lake Michigan uh, have you ever you know I, I've seen a couple of fish get caught in Lake Michigan whether it be the Milwaukee Harbor or outside of Milwaukee and what have you I mean are you hearing about more than probably I'm probably hearing about? The last few years now I've
2: seen a lot more fish caught on the lakeside and I think what's happening is in June we get a huge supply of bait fish that come from the lakeside, the in into Green Bay. And then usually around right in the beginning of July those fish migrate back to Lake Michigan. And I think what's happening is those muskies are following them back into the lakeside. Um, I know last year of seven muskies that were caught by salmon charter boats. Um, you know, like Algoma and down to the south from Algoma, they're definitely transitioning over to the lakeside. Some of the fish are.
1: Is there any nice cabbage beds out on Lake Michigan that I'm unaware of? I mean, I've salmon fished over there and trout fished and so on and so forth, but I don't know of anything. I mean, I haven't spent the time like you probably have um, that maybe could be checked. I mean, this whole Great Lakes thing, whether it be Lake Michigan or Erie and so on and so forth i mean you're definitely hearing a little bit more about that
2: yeah i don't think there's any weeds as far as cabbage goes on the lake lake side um, from what i know if i know from like gills rock all the way down to kiwani there's no cabbage beds that
1: i know of in that area whether there is of there or not i'm not sure but that's an interesting deal. I mean, you talk about Green Bay being so vast and, and how small those little weed beds are. You know, it's amazing to think. I mean, you have that much water, you would just think that uh, there would be some more availability. But I've heard the same thing from everybody that fishes out there. So, I mean, I, it just, it's kind of mind-boggling, honestly.
2: Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy, and it all comes down to the, to the weeds. I mean, the, the whole East Shore... Um, from the lower bay all the way up to sturgeon bay there's only one weed bed on that entire stretch and the west shore has got the main amount of weeds you know that's why you see all the pressure on the west side just because that has the brunt of the cabbage weed beds but it's just you know it comes down to the weeds and we don't have a lot of big cabbage beds on green bay so the fish are, are isolated in, in those specific areas and um you know, maybe someday it can change. You know, but I haven't seen any changes. Like I said, in the last fifteen to twenty years, as far as the, the main areas where the weeds grow, you know, they're always in those areas. Some days they'll be, some years they'll be in shallower, um, some years in the deeper water. Um, but what happens, like the last couple of years with the high water, it all comes down to sunlight penetration on where those weeds grow. Once you get deeper than about eight to nine foot. Um, on Green Bay with the dirty water, you're not going to see much for cabbage weeds bed, beds in, in deeper water than that.
0: You know, Brett, one thing we haven't talked about is, let's just talk about a little bit about big water safety. Not necessarily in Green Bay alone, but any big water situation. Obviously, Green Bay is to the extreme of big water. You got some precautions that maybe you should offer up to people that are going to give Green Bay a shot?
2: Uh, the main thing is just, you know, watch your weather. You know, watch your wind directions and wind speeds because Green Bay can get pretty nasty, especially on, you get a big north or a northeast blow, and it can get pretty ugly pretty quick. So I'd say that's the main thing is just watch the weather. I see guys get caught out in some pretty nasty stuff sometimes.
0: Yeah, I definitely can understand that. Back in the day when I fished a lot, I had my, you know, my Ranger at a 619. So I could pretty much handle most anything, but to me, it always it was amazing how fast the weather I guess could change. You'd be out there flat, calm. Um, this is no secret to you. I'm sure you see it on a, you know, semi-regular basis. You can be flat, calm and next thing you know, you're in three footers, you know, I I wouldn't say like instantly, but you know, fairly quickly.
2: Yeah, it can, it can change pretty fast on, you know, on Green Bay. You know, a lot of times you just, if you got stuff coming from the like the East or the West, it's not a big deal just because it can't build, build really big. Um, but when you get stuff that's coming out of the North, that's when you want to be careful because then it's coming over a hundred miles and it can get pretty wicked.
0: So before we let you go, Brett, let's talk one thing. If, you know, can you offer up one tip, I guess, for somebody that's looking to try to get on in green Bay by themselves, obviously hiring a guide would, you know, such as yourself would be a good place to start, but let's just say they didn't want to go do that. You know, you got any, you got a tip you can offer up to get started?
2: Um, I guess the biggest tip I'd say would be plan an extra day and come and just drive around and, and look at where everybody's fishing. Cause it's not hard to figure out the
0: spots, but <laughs> I'd take a day and go for a joy ride and figure out where the spots are and then go and start fishing. I have to applaud your honesty on that one. So, you know, occasionally at sport shows, I'll get guys that'll come up to me and they'll be like, so I'm looking to get started on green Bay. How do I go figure it out? And I'm like. Well, I'd like to tell you there's a whole pile of secrets <laughs> out there and there, and there are, I mean, there's some stuff that's off the beaten path that guys aren't hitting as often, but I'm like, really just go look for where all the boats are. You, you can find the spots pretty fast that way. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it seems terrible to say that, but it's true, right? Well,
2: it's, I mean, it's just a matter of fact. I mean, that's, that's what it is here. Yeah. So, I mean, on a, any given day in, in a, you know, in July or August, September, I mean, any of the good spots you are going to have you know, 15 to 20 boats on them most days. So it's not hard
0: to find them. Absolutely. Well, Brad, we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk about Green Bay muskie fishing. If one of our listeners wants to get out with you or one of your guys to, you know, check out Green Bay, you know, what it has to offer, how do they go about doing that?
2: Um, They can look me up on the website at www.alexandersportfishing.com or they can call me on my cell phone at 920 851 four two one
0: four sounds good so brett we want to thank you again for taking time out of your schedule we want to thank our listeners for putting up with us for another episode and we'll catch everybody again with a new episode next week wednesday